I'm Clyde Holdekamp with 5-H Dairy in Comfort, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas, agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We are locked, loaded, and ready to roll with another episode of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, a group of cotton farmers from the Mid-South and Southeastern U.S. toured the Texas cotton industry in the Rio Grande Valley this week. It was part of the National Cotton Council's Producer Information Exchange Tour. We were there and we'll bring you news from the tour coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Farmers in the coastal bend of Texas are assessing the impact of rain on their cotton crop from Tropical Storm Harold. I'm Tom Nicoletti. I'll have a report from South Texas on Texas Ag Today. One of the biggest threats for those who grow winter wheat is wheat streak mosaic virus. I'm James Hunt and coming up on Texas Ag Today, a Texas High Plains agronomist offers some thoughts on protecting the crop from that disease. Hot weather and wildfires, not real unusual in Texas in the summertime. Hello, I'm Barry Ballard. I'll tell you about the wildfire I experienced a few days ago in my report from the Rolling Plains. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Cotton growers from the Mid-South and Southeast are touring the Rio Grande Valley cotton industry this week. It's part of the National Cotton Council's Producer Information Exchange Tour. Wesley Barnes is a cotton farmer from Virginia. You know, I think it's good to uh, meet new people, and I think it's good just to expand and see the way the way folks do things down here as compared to how I do it at home. And Barnes says he's taking one big lesson home. So the lesson to take back home from the trip, I would say um, definitely be thankful for the uh, amount of rain we get. These guys down here I've learned really struggle with having moisture to even plant a crop and get it up. and. You know, through the growing season, the, the inputs they put into it, just not getting rainfall, that's, I know that's got to be tough to deal with. And speaking of rain, the Rio Grande Valley got a nice rain this week, thanks to Tropical Storm Harold, which made landfall on Padre Island. BASF technical agronomist Luke Etheridge says that was the first rain he's seen in a very long time. I don't know. I told the guys today, I said, I guess you guys brought the rain because... I've had rubber boots in my truck and I haven't put them on one time this year. So, yeah, we got a little bit of rain. I don't know how much in certain geographies, but we'll take whatever we can get for sure. Cotton harvest is about wrapped up here in the Rio Grande Valley, so we asked Etheridge for a recap on this year's Valley crop. Well, I kind of think it's a mixed bag. Um, You got some really good stuff that got early planted, um, caught those early rains that we did get early in the season, and and it helped it sustain kind of when we got hot and dry. We got really hot. And I think that hurt us a lot more than we think, especially with the stuff that got planted a little bit later. 
but harvest was about at the right time, even though we had a little bit of late stuff. Um, I think harvest was about normal. And if you look at the Gulf and the Atlantic right now, we, we can't get cotton out fast enough right now before we get busted by one of those storms. Cotton harvest is also wrapping up in the Texas coastal bend around Corpus Christi. Kind of the same story there, too. You know, the early planted cotton did okay. Um, the later planted, it's going to suffer a little bit. I think those nighttime temperatures, you know, not getting below 80 degrees for a long period of time, never let that cotton get a rest. It had a really good fruit set, but shucked a lot of it, and we're seeing it now when we started to harvest. But harvest is going fast, gins are picking it up, and uh, I think everything else is running pretty smooth. That's BASF technical agronomist Luke Etheridge here in the Rio Grande Valley. Now, statewide, the condition of the Texas cotton crop that's left in the field continues to deteriorate. Here's a look at the latest Texas crop progress and condition report cotton ratings. They show that only 10% of the Texas cotton crop is now rated in the good to excellent categories, 19% rated fair, and a whopping 71% of the Texas cotton crop now rated poor to very poor. Now with more on the effects that Tropical Storm Harold had on cotton in the coastal bend, here's Tom Nicoletti. The impact of the rain that fell from Tropical Storm Harold over the cotton still remaining in Texas coastal bend fields is being assessed by area farmers. Scott Frazier grows cotton in Oasis and San Patricio counties. I'd say overall the harvest in our county is a little behind normal just because the way the crop grew out this year. By this time, most everybody would be finished on more of a normal year. So our harvest is dragging out a week or so later than normal. Our farm, we got done on Sunday, but there's still a few farmers out there the last couple of days. And most of them are almost done. They're down at that last two, 300 acres here or there. And some cotton fields that I've looked at since it started raining, they're wet and look ugly right now. But for the most part, it looks like the cotton's still on the stalk. Given a few days of dry weather, it'll probably fluff up. I'm sure they'll be damaged, but they're not a total loss. It looks like most of our farms in Nueces County have had a waiting for from about two and a quarter, two and a half inches, all the way up to probably three and a half, or maybe even a hair over that one or two spots. San Patricio County, I think we had about an inch and a third or so up there. But overall, it's probably going to do us more good for a start to next year's crop than what harm it's doing to this year's crop. Cotton gets rained on when it's like it is right now, just right at harvest time. Certainly you have some staining of the cotton and, and it affects the grain quite a bit. When it gets wet and kind of gets stringy and some of it will actually fall out of the ground, you'll lose that. Biggest thing is it will affect our grades and our yields. Like I say you're going to lose some. Sometimes you can have some issues with it trying to green back up, then having the extra expense of defoliating again and kind of getting where you can harvest. It creates some issues and it makes that cotton where it's less valuable than it was going to be originally. That is Chapman Ranch farmer Scott Frazier in South Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. One of the biggest threats for Texas High Plains wheat growers is wheat streak mosaic virus. James Hunt has some thoughts from a High Plains agronomist on protecting the crop from that disease. In yesterday's report, local agronomist Russell French encouraged Texas High Plains wheat farmers to take advantage of breakthroughs in wheat breeding by planting some of the new varieties that have been developed in recent years. Today's message from French, it would be especially wise to choose varieties that offer tolerance to wheat streak mosaic virus. Because that is something we can't do anything about. And once you get wheat streak mosaic virus, you can't spray or control it. And it can be a very devastating disease here in the High Plains. Beyond variety selection, French is also urging farmers to protect their fields from the wheat curl mite. That's the little bug that serves as a vector for wheat streak mosaic virus, and it's known to hang out in volunteer wheat. 
Volunteer wheat provides that green bridge from summer to fall to get the infestations going in the planted wheat. So growers really need to control that volunteer wheat. I know it's tempting sometimes to leave it to graze and things like that, but it's just going to cause us a problem. Be a good neighbor. Control your volunteer wheat, either with tillage or spraying. It needs to be dead for about 7 to 14 days before you plant your wheat you're going to harvest next year to make sure that wheat curl mite is gone. And French emphasizes getting rid of volunteer wheat means getting rid of all of it. With the rain we've had this summer, we're going to have more volunteer wheat, and we really need to be on top of that. And even a small amount of volunteer wheat, just you think there's just a clump every 50, 100 feet across the field, not that big a deal, but it don't take much volunteer wheat for that wheat curl mite to survive and move over into your planted wheat or your neighbor's planted wheat and vector the virus. Once again, that was Russell French with French Agronomics in Amarillo. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Hot weather and wildfires have been bearing down on Texas here in the month of August. Barry Mahler tells us about his experience with the wildfire in his report from North Central Texas. Well, you know it's been a hot summer in Texas and looks as though it's going to continue for a while. And We're seeing wildfires pop up over quite a large area of the state. Now, seeing wildfires in hot weather is not unusual, but I don't think it's possible to completely understand the total dynamics of a wildfire until you experience one firsthand. Last week, I experienced one that, well, got pretty close and actually got on some of our uh, family farm property. It was not only intense, but it was close, but there were two others going on in the county, so that sure stretched out our resources a little bit. This particular fire that I experienced would not have been spectacular by any means, as it wasn't that large. It threatened only range and farmland with some scattered homesteads, so nothing that our firefighters had not seen before, but it was hot that day, over 110 degrees for most of the day, and as I explained, our fire trucks and other equipment were already spread thin. The wind was also a factor. It was pretty strong throughout the whole event, and it changed several times while we were engaged. The fight went on for 10 or 12 hours, and luckily we lost no structures other than an old house used for storage. Now, one of the things I noticed after the fact is there is a lot of damage from a fire like this, even though no houses or businesses were lost. We lost a lot of forage that will cause a change of plan for ranchers, just as grass is short due to the dry weather. And this fire that burned around 1,200 acres destroyed miles of fence that will have to be replaced well ahead of schedule, not to mention road damage from equipment that's out there getting the job done. One very good thing I saw was the amount of help that gathered to do what needed to be done. Bulldozers and motor graders from farmers and ranchers, water tankers from area oil field service companies, local folks bringing food and water to exhausted firefighters, and of course, volunteer and professional firefighters, and a true gem here in the state of Texas, our Texas A&M Forest Service. Now, the Texas A&M Forest Service is such a great resource in our state. When those guys show up with equipment and expertise, it moves the operation to a new level, and they get it done, including bringing in the tanker planes to fight the fire in inaccessible areas. Now, I used to think of the Forest Service as the folks that looked after East Texas timber business. But they're much more than that now. And the Texas A&M Forest Service is there to help in places where the only tree you might see is mesquite. This is Barry Mahler reporting from North Central Texas for Texas Ag Today. Texas dove hunters have until the end of the month to enter this year's Banded Bird Challenge. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And prebiotics and postbiotics may be helpful in horses. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
Howdy neighbors, Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Park of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. The 2023 Texas Cattle Feeders Association Annual Convention will be here before we know it. TCFA invites you to this year's convention, October 8th through the 10th, at the Gaylord Texan in Grapevine, Texas. The 2023 convention boasts outstanding educational, informative, and networking opportunities. Register before September 7th to save on your registration and hotel room at the 2023 TCFA Annual Convention. Find more information by visiting www.tcfa.org. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. You may have heard of using prebiotics on horses, but Dr. Bob Judd says postbiotics may be helpful as well. Research has indicated that a dietary supplement based on a yeast product could improve the equine gut's ability to handle stressful situations. The postbiotic supplement is derived from probiotic yeast and appears to maintain the horse's gut microbiota even after mild stress that would typically cause a GI upset. The microbiota is the organisms in the environment of the intestinal tract that are required for normal function. It is possible the supplement might encourage good digestive health and proper immune function, as it has been shown that the supplement may help the gut organisms survive through stressful periods such as hauling or illnesses. Dr. Sharon Norton with Cargill indicates in the horse publication that probiotics produce vitamins, amino acids, and other metabolites that promote health. The metabolites of the Sarcomyces yeast were collected to create a yeast probiotic, and since live organisms are not required to be effective, the postbiotics present an effective alternative for horse feed and direct supplementation. These products are highly stable and retain efficacy through the feed and manufacturing process. Researchers performed a study on 20 quarter horses, and half of the horses received the yeast supplement daily for 60 days. The horse's feces were examined, and the postbiotic had little effect on the microbial profile of the feces. However, when the horse's heads were elevated, simulating being tied in a trailer, there was a significant drop in microbiome quality in both groups. But the horses consuming the postbiotic exhibited robust microbial diversity with stress and had more stable GI microbiomes. Feeding your horse a postbiotic may help decrease GI symptoms with periods of stress like hauling. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas dove hunters have until the end of the month to enter this year's Banded Bird Challenge. Jessica Domel has more details on the program in today's Wildlife Report. Time is running out for Texas dove hunters to enter this year's Banded Bird Challenge. The challenge, hosted by the Texas Dove Hunters Association, is a research program that is looking into the habits of invasive Eurasian collar doves. Bobby Thornton, co-founder of the association, joins us with more. This is this bird that has come to Texas and actually made its way across the United States, but a lot of them seem to find home in Texas now, and so we're conducting what we call a field study. Not necessarily what are their migratory instincts, but more so what are they doing in the field? What causes them to move? Why are they moving? And what direction they're headed? In order to do so, we trap and band 800 birds a year. This would be our seventh year based on the harvest data that is given to us when somebody either shoots one of these birds or finds one of these birds with a band on it. They call in the number on the band and we look at where it was trapped, 
banded and released and where it was harvested, days in the field, miles it's traveled, directional travel, all this data that goes into a database to help us learn more about these birds. When hunters bag a Eurasian collar dove with an orange band on its leg and report it to the association, they're entered to win one of several prizes that include a new truck, Polaris Ranger, and exotic hunts. But hunters must be entered into the challenge before the deadline to be eligible to win. You can enter the challenge and see this year's rules and the prizes on TexasDoveHunters.com. The deadline to enter is August 31st. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The cattle market took a big jump to the upside in Thursday's trade. We'll take a look back at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Department of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. The 2023 Texas Cattle Feeders Association Annual Convention will be here before we know it. TCFA invites you to this year's convention, October 8th through the 10th, at the Gaylord Texan in Grapevine, Texas. The 2023 convention boasts outstanding educational, informative, and networking opportunities. Register before September 7th to save on your registration and hotel room at the 2023 TCFA Annual Convention. Find more information by visiting www.tcfa.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle futures market started off slow on Thursday, but when we got into about the last hour or so of trading, things really took off higher. We ended up closing with triple-digit gains on both live and feeder cattle. The nearby August contract about to go off the board, it was up $1.80, closing at $179.85. The October up $205 at $180.72, while December live cattle were up $1.60, $184.52. August feeder cattle gained $1.47, closing the day at $2. 4650 September feeders up 217 at 25075 October feeder cattle up 237 at 25325 Cash fed cattle market still mostly quiet for the week but we do have a few sales to report we've seen a pen of cattle here in Texas sold at 179 and a half on the grid when you move up north, Iowa and Nebraska sold a few cattle live at 185 to 186. They've seen some dress sales, again, light sales at 292. Those prices weak to steady. Most of the feedlots holding on, passing on the bids, waiting for higher money this week. Boxed beef prices, higher Thursday choice up 16 cents at 317.21. Select up 50 cents, 292.09. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Sean Geiswhite, my first guest. We're talking sheep and goats from Fredericksburg to San Angelo. Sean, how did you sell them? I ended up with 2,600. Those feeder kids, you know, we sold those up over, a lot of the good ones up over $3, which I thought was good. Some of the heavier kids, you know, weighing kind of 55 to, to 65 pounds, kind of bring from two, 210 to, to 265.75, just depending on what they were. Some of those muttons, those red-headed muttons, you know, they, they bring over $3, you know, if they weighed over 70. So I thought that was awful good. On the lamb market, we didn't have many lambs, 
Those lighter lambs for sure higher. I saw those feeder lambs, you know, kind of bring from two. 260 to, to up to 280 on some of those lighter feeder lambs and then even the 55 to 65 pounders uh, kind of I guess top end was up to 295 today on some of those really fancy ones so I thought the, the lamb deal the lighter lamb deal was awful good heavier lambs might have been a tick softer didn't have as many friends there I thought we got along pretty good on sheep and goat sale neighbor now let's move to San Angelo talk to Benny Cock Benny you had 8,000 how'd they sell the slaughtered nannies they sell from 90 to 143 but mostly 112 to 119 slaughtered is as soft as I've seen in a long time they sell from 150 to 210 the wool figure lambs sold in a range of 184 to 195 the slaughter lambs the hair sheep type the light end of those 180 to 257 the heavier weights 150 to 193 on the slaughter use from 55 to 90 but mostly 62 to 72 kid goats sold in a range from two dollars to 320 but mostly 214 to 277 with some of those show prospects 425 that's a totally different ball game it has nothing to do with the commercial meat market when you get 30 30 percent over the norm it's always going to pressure the market some thank you benny cox san angelo Thank you, Sean Guys Wide Fredericksburg. Good look at the sheep and goats here on Walking the Pens, part of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. You're listening to us right this second on Texas Ag Today. Back over to the futures market now. Arlene Hogs finished higher on Thursday. October Hogs up $1.92 at $80.47. December up $0.85, cents, $71.90. Class 3 milk was mixed. Nearby August milk down a nickel, $17.19, a hundredweight, with September milk up $0.38. Cents. At eighteen seventy-seven hundred, cotton market finishing mostly higher despite a very poor-looking export sales report released Thursday morning. It showed that only thirty-nine thousand bales were sold versus the previous week's one hundred eighty-six thousand bales. The nearby October contract down twelve points at eighty-six oh nine. December cotton up twenty-seven, closing at the same price eighty-six oh nine. March cotton up thirty-five at eighty-six oh four. Corn market drifted lower with not much news to trade on on Thursday. September corn was down four cents, four seventy-two and a quarter. December corn down two and a quarter, four eighty-eight and a quarter. With March corn down three quarters, five oh three a bushel. Wheat market also drifting lower. The export sales report didn't look very good for wheat either. Overall for the year, sales down nineteen percent compared to a year ago. September Kansas City wheat down two, closing at 7.53 a bushel. September Chicago wheat down eight and a half at 6.04 a bushel. In the energy market, September natural gas was up two cents at 2.52. October West Texas crude up a dime at 78.99 a barrel. The financial markets lower Thursday afternoon. The Dow dropping 325 points at 34,147. The Nasdaq down 229, 13,494. The S&P down 51 at 4,385. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. My name is Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.